physically and mentally suffering, then you can't parent in an effective way, right? And then things will just sort of spiral kind of out of control. So it's not really a hack, but it's definitely, I'm a big a proponent of that. Yeah, of getting, you know, especially new moms who are anxious and all that, getting, you know, referring to proper therapy or telling them like, you know, this can wait, right? Like definitely as, as cliche as it sounds, like rest when your babies are resting. Don't focus on doing household things, which is so hard because I feel like, Especially during the day, you're awake anyway, right? When your baby's sleeping yeah. and you're like, well, I'll just, I'll just do laundry, I'll do this, I'll do that. And then it's two in the morning and you're exhausted and your baby's up. Hello and hola, friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. Story time brought to you by locumstory.com. Today we'll be reading One Job, Two Job. One Job, Two Jobs, Red Blob, No Job, Elective Doc, Emergency Doc, Summon Overstock, Summon Out of Stock. This doc is too abused. This doc is underused. This doc can't get sick. Say, let's try a brand new trick. For all the docs about to cry, here's an idea you can try. Look into a locum tenants assignment, a really great option you might find. Don't forget locums pays much better and you can find assignments in any type of weather. With all this new info trapped up in your thinker, go to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash locum story and use your mouse to tinker. It's here you'll find the unbiased answers you are after so you can decide if locum tenants is in your next chapter. Okay, well, welcome back to part two of our episode with Dr. Elena Shea. If you guys remember from last week, she is the pediatrician who is currently practicing just outside of Washington, D.C. in the Virginia area with her soon-to-be four children. She's got a 20-year-old stepson, four-year-old, two-year-old, and a fetus. And she has been married for 10 years, known this uh, wonderful man for the past 13 years. And if you heard the prior episode, you heard about their super hilarious but so sweet engagement story on ice when he fell to the floor and then popped back up with the ring. Um, He didn't dislocate his shoulder. Don't worry about that. But spoiler alert. Okay. (laughs) Um, But welcome back, Dr. Shea. Today, we're going to move into more of how you balance it, right? Like more motherhood and and how you, you're a pediatrician and a mother. I want to know if you're a pediatrician at home and if you're a mother in the pediatrician's office and then talk a little bit more about your breastfeeding adventures. So yeah, so I mean, um, I think for us, we are lucky. We have an amazing in-home daycare that does a lot, you know, that takes care of our kids during the week so we can both go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice because they are, you know, they've been taking care of my my son now for four and a half years. And so they're like family. Okay. So it's really, you know, that's a great sort of system for us so that we can work and, and do what we need to. Uh-huh. I am definitely a mom at the pediatrician's office. So I think, and I've, I tell people this all the time, that being a mom has changed the way that I practice pediatrics because mm-hmm. I think before... 
you're taught all these things, but you don't necessarily know what you're saying, if that makes sense, right? Uh, Totally. Right. And so when I came back from maternity leave after having my son, gosh, like I, every time a new mom was like, oh, it's so hard. I'm like, oh, it is so hard. I'm like, it is hard. (laughs) It is. And it gets better, but you know, not as quickly as you want it to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think definitely having, you know, been a parent twice now, you know, soon to be three from, from babyhood, um, has sort of opened my eyes to how things aren't always so black and white, you know, like our, our medical associations give us these guidelines and sometimes they're based in good science, but like practically it's very hard right, to live that all the time. And I think patients appreciate that their doctor can say that to them. Like, I understand that, you know, X, Y, Z, you become more real. Right. And I think, yeah, you know, on the on the other end, having a, gone through the teenage years with you know a kid, also you know when I have some of these teenage, yeah. So, I mean, my my stepson didn't live with us until he was in high school, but we saw him frequently and we talked to him a lot. And you know, so when I have like you know those preteen parents and they're like, oh god, they're getting so you know so terrible, and I'm like, well, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, the preteen years are worse than the teenage years. Like, don't worry. They eventually become people. And they're like, okay, really? I'm like, yep. I'm like, they they grow out of it. And then they, you know, they hit their late teens and they become way more, way more reasonable. You know? What is the span? When does that start? And when does it end? Oh my God. (laughs) Um, my, I usually like, 11 to 13 was terrible. Okay. Okay. There's a lot of, I mean, and it's, it makes sense, right? Like they're, they're really becoming people like they're, they're trying to really separate from their parents, but they're still very, you know, very young and middle school is a terrible, you know, three years for everyone. And so, so I definitely think it's helped. It's made me a better pediatrician. I try not to be a pediatrician at home, but sometimes it's inevitable. Mm. Right. Okay. I tell my husband all the time, like, small things that don't seem like a big deal in my mind. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I was convinced my oldest had cerebral palsy for months, for months and months because he had, you know, he was a little stiff. He had a left hand preference, like all these things that like my medical brain was like, wow, it's not normal. It's not normal. And my mom brain was like, Oh, it's fine. But my, I was like, no, no, no. And eventually, I mean, I eventually mentioned it to our pediatrician and she was like, you are, you're being crazy. And this is when he was just born, first born? Like for, for months. For months. Okay. Like I think for like months. I think at nine, nine or ten months we had him evaluated because he wasn't quite meeting some of his milestones, like his gross motor milestones. I think he like wasn't quite sitting great and hadn't really started to pull himself up and all these things. And then I mentioned this like, you know, I'm like, you know, he he like always goes with his left hand. He has his left hand preference. And my pediatrician was like, well, we can have him evaluated. She's like, I think it's fine. And I was like, okay. I get it. I spent months, like months being like, there's something wrong with my kid. Like, why is he doing this? This is not normal. It's, I mean. And it was normal for him. It was normal. He's a lefty. So I think, you know, I'm convinced that people who are left-handed have a left-hand preference. Like from, you know, you're not supposed to have a preference when they're babies, but I think. But you're convinced he did. Yeah. Because my daughter, who's who prefers her right hand didn't have it like mm. she was really you know used both hands equally but he was very much 
So yeah, you're just a little bit more anxious at home. I think most doctors can relate to that. Like both me and my husband, I think palpate our children's stomachs probably more than the normal parent. Like whenever they're, I'm doing diaper changes, I'm like, oh, wait, is, should this, should it feel like this? Totally. Are her flanks bulging, you know? And then, <laughs> and then she bats her foot. My newborn's batting her foot. I'm like, oh my gosh, is that myoclonus? Like, is she, is she have neuroblastoma? I'm like looking at her eyes to see if they move around. Right. It's, <laughs> well, and it's crazy. Cause like for me too, like my kids, you know, they're ta- like, they're the same age as your children. Like they fall all the time. They're very yeah. active. Yeah. And so they'll come home with bruises. Right. And I'm like, all right. Like, is this an appropriate number of bruises? Am I worried about anything? Like, yes. you know, and, and I can't say anything to my husband because he, um, he gets panicky. Like the second I mentioned like, Oh, do you think like this is normal? Oh, he panicky. Okay. Right. And so, okay. So it's like all internal in my head where I'm like, mm. but luckily we've been very lucky. Our kids have been very healthy, you know, and some, and I feel like, on the flip side, some stuff I feel more comfortable handling at home, like when they have fevers or their vomit, you know, like yeah. the basic, yeah. You don't have to send them in to get exposed to all the RSV right. that's already there. In the right, right. Sometimes I think my husband would prefer me to be more less sure because like, I'm pretty sure my daughter had um, bronchiolitis about a month ago and she was ha- she had that horrible hacky cough that they get. And so we'd hear her coughing in her room and my husband would be like, should we do anything? I'm like, oh, she's fine. She's asleep. She's not breathing fast. Like I'd listen to her. She wasn't wheezing, but he would be all like, are you sure? Like, let's take her to the doctor. And I was like, eh, it's fine. Definitely not in the middle of the night. If she doesn't need to, that would be the worst time to go. Right. I was like, she's not wheezing and she's not having a hard time breathing. Like she doesn't need. And I was already like, even if she is wheezing, I'll just have someone call in like an inhaler for her. Like I'm not taking her unnecessarily to the doctor's office in the middle of a surge. Okay. So what are your favorite, what are your favorite like parenting hacks or tips you give to the parents who walk in your office and are maybe just falling apart at any different age? Oh Lord. Um, I mean, I think the most important thing for parents is to remember that they need to take care of themselves to then be able to take care of their kids. And so I think mm-hmm. and it's also one of those things I learned with my children because with my oldest in particular, you know, I thought it was going to be easy because, I mean, I was a pediatrician and had done residency and I was like, I can be sleep deprived and I know it, I know it all. And being a, a parent of a newborn is totally different than being a resident. <laughs> and so, but I think there's a lot of pressure on parents and on moms in particular to kind of like put everyone first yeah, and then put yourselves next. And so when I see parents who are struggling, I say, well, you know, you really need to like focus on you for a little bit. And it sounds so selfish to say, but it's not because if you are physically and mentally suffering, then you can't parent in an effective way. Ah. Right. And then things will just sort of spiral kind of out of control. So it's not really a hack, but it's definitely, I'm a big proponent of that. Yeah. Of getting, you know, especially new moms who are anxious and all that getting, you know, referring to proper therapy or telling them like, you know, this can wait, right? Like definitely as, as cliche as it sounds like rest when your babies are resting, Mm. don't focus on doing household things, which is so hard because I feel like, especially during the day you're awake anyway, right? When your baby's sleeping yeah. and you're like, well, I'll just, I'll just do laundry. I'll do this. I'll do that. And then it's two in the morning and you're exhausted and your baby's up. Yeah. You know what? It took me three babies to, to finally actually 
take that advice. Rest when your baby is resting. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first, the first baby, I don't remember ever, like I was just had that guilt, like, oh, you know, I need to constantly do something. And then also she was always breastfeeding, constantly breastfeeding. So every time I would give her to my mom or my in-law or my husband, they'd come rape and I barely have a chance to lie down in the bed for five minutes and they'd come back in. Oh no, she's hungry again. I'm like, no, she's not. Just walk her around. But finally at the, my third baby, I'm like, she's napping. I'm taking a nap. <laughs> so for for me my oldest he he struggled a lot like we it took probably eight or nine weeks to get him to actually nurse effectively so we were wow. yeah so we were yeah so we were like trying to get him to last and I was pumping and we were bottle feeding and the whole process would take like an hour and then he'd sleep wow. for like you know an hour and he'd do it again and then you'd be up again. And so, and I, you know, mistakenly was like, well, you know, my husband, like I have to be up anyway to pump. So I'll just take care of all the feeds yeah. and my husband can rest. And so, and then he went back to work because he only took off like six weeks. And so it was exhausting. Like I was exhausted and it did a number on my mental health. So with my daughter, I definitely try to rest more, but it's, okay. it's hard because, you know, at that point you have a toddler who doesn't understand, you know, as well. He was only, he was barely two. Yep. Um, and he just wanted to, you know, be with us. And so it's, it's hard. I mean, it's very hard. So when you were doing that for eight or nine weeks, like you were trying to get him to latch, like, how did you, when did you realize that you, like, did you reach out for help? Like you're saying you kind of had, it took a toll on your mental health. Did you do something to improve that? Would you recommend other people start doing things earlier than you did? So, yes. So I, in terms of the breastfeeding where, where we go for our, um, I take my kids to a pedi pediatric office local to where we are, okay. not where I practice because I practice about 30 miles, about 25 miles from where I live. Okay. And so I wanted someone a little bit closer to, to our house, especially given that the traffic in the area is, you know, awful. Um, and so they actually have, they had lactation consultants in their office, mm. which was amazing. So I would see the lactation consultants, you know, weekly, sometimes twice a week, just because okay. like I was tired and I was anxious and I had all this milk and I felt guilty because, you know, if I just, my husband was like, just stop, just quit. Like we'll formula feed. It'll be totally fine. And like mentally I knew that it would be totally fine. But I felt like this overwhelming like guilt that I had this milk to give my baby and I just was being like selfish by not giving, you know what I'm saying? So it became this whole thing. Yeah. Um, and then at two, yeah, my, at his two month visit, they, um, they do a, one of the screening tests. I don't know if your pediatrician does it like the Edinburgh. And I mean, it was, it was very positive. And so then they gave me all these resources um, and I found a therapist locally who's been life-saving. And so, you know, I was seeing her and I still see her. Ah, okay. Mental health is important. It's super important. And I think, I mean, that's a whole other, you know, topic about like the stigma and how, you know, I think a lot of women are, you know, prone to depression or we have mild depression. And we just tell ourselves it's normal. And then we get, you know, we have babies and it just spirals, but there's a lot of fear about admitting it and oh yeah, stigma attached to it and like the whole thing. And so 
Oh, and all of all of America. I mean, we we don't ever really talk about um, going to see a therapist or a counselor or any any you know thing for our brain regularly. It's right. all just about body, right? And how can we expect to like just the same same way we don't expect to have six pack abs our whole life if we just did sit ups for like one year, you know? Right. Or you know, we got six pack abs. You have to maintain it. You have to continue going to the gym. Right. Same thing for your mind. Right. I've been, and you know, it's, it's interesting because because of COVID, we've been seeing a lot more mental health concerns with our, you know, with all our patients, but yeah. especially the teens, you know, who are now, who missed a year and a half of, you know, high school and now they're going in and, you know, they're very, they're very stressed about it. And I've been, I've been telling everyone, I'm like, think of it as taking your car in for a tune-up. Like you do, you need to do it regularly. Like your brain needs to have sometimes a little bit of tuning up just to keep it healthy and balanced. So have you, but yes. Yeah, so how have you managed that for the t- preteens and teens you see or, or any age? Like, is it, you said it's so especially for the teen, the preteens and teens that are dealing with mental um, health issues and depression. There's, I mean, we were sort of seeing it across the board. I think a lot of the younger kids are having a lot of anxiety about going back, like sort of re-entering society, because for them, you know, if you're five, six, seven, eight, and you've been home for the last year and a half, that's like a huge chunk of what you remember. And so for them, it's like a whole new experience. It's like going to school and, and whatnot. The teens, I think, are having a lot of anxiety, sort of the, I want to go back and live a normal life but I'm old enough to understand that there's a lot of other stuff going on and sort of that like, mm-hmm. you know, strain between the two. Okay. And, you know, for, for a teenager, like your whole world is your social circle. And a lot of them haven't seen people in a year. Right. And so they're nervous about going back to school and resuming normal social interactions. Yeah. Kind of. So it's, it's, it's a mess. So what do you tell them? Like, what are what is the main, I mean, usually if there is a concern, you know, we, we refer them to, to counseling or therapy or, you know, play therapy if they're, little, if they're young. Yeah. The, okay. the issue in, in our area and I'm sure everywhere is that there just isn't enough pediatric, you know, counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists mm. to handle a normal amount of like mental health issues. And then you add on top of it, this increased number. So like I have patients tell me they have, you know, all the, th- all the counselors have wait lists, you know, and it's going to be several months before they can get in anywhere. Right. It's one of the things that's, I guess it's good that school is resuming because there is guidance counselors and some counseling through the public schools mm-hmm. that they can at least tap into a little bit. Got it. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, thank you for that insight. I mean, it's, it's definitely a real struggle, right? And uh, so where can people, what do you recommend for breastfeeding? Cause I know you talked about your personal struggle for eight to nine weeks and maybe even more. And, uh, I mean, the lactation consultant, man, that's, yeah, my pedi- pediatrics office definitely doesn't have that, but is that most, most don't. Yeah. It's, it's, it was, I mean, it was amazing because it was just, they, um, they'll schedule you. So you call in to make your newborn appointment and then they ask you if you want to see like they're like are you nursing and if you say yes they recommend that you okay come in and see them okay and so they'll schedule your newborn appointment with the lactation consultant first and then you see the doctor you're certified now right I am yeah so with you know all kind of the extra time I had on my hands because you know COVID um I went out and took lots of courses and classes about lactation and 
breastfeeding medicine and took the the certification test for the International Board of Certified Lactation Consultants. So it's the IBCLC that you sometimes see at like the end of the names of like people who do lactation consultants. Okay. Yeah. So I'm hoping to be able to incorporate that a little bit into, you know, my current practice and stuff, just because for me, it was so helpful to have that resource that I want to be able to then like sort of pay it forward to other people who who are having those, those issues. Especially at those offices, right? That offices that don't have the lactation consultants because most of them don't. Right. And we're, and you know, and I'm, we're figuring out the logistics because in the 50, you know, in the 15, 30 minute time slot you have for like these little babies, it's not enough to do a real evaluation. But I feel at least that I know more so I can advise better then because okay. I mean most of us don't get any breastfeeding education at all mm-hmm. in residency or anything other than like you know encourage people to breastfeed and you know do what you can so that they'll nurse until six months but you don't get any of the actual like logistics of how it happens and why what you should do and like all the all the other stuff and your husband, how did your husband play into this whole breastfeeding, bottle feeding, feeding circle? I know you said at the be- initially you kind of took all the burden upon yourself. So did that change the second time around? I mean, it changed it changed with the first one pretty quickly. I mean, okay. Okay. not I mean, he's 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 great and he's you know, he wants to help as much as possible and I think that initial period it was more me Cause he'd be like, just wake me up. And I'd be like, well, why do we, we, why do we both have to be awake? That seems like so dumb. Um, with my second one, there was definitely more, I think because we were both, we both knew that I needed to sleep or otherwise I was going to go down like a dark path again. And so we sort of were prepped for making sure that he would do some of the feeds at night or some of the feeds during the day so that I could rest. Okay. And also mentally, you know, I was like, I'm going to do what I need to protect my mental health, even if it means that we have to partially formula feed or totally for, you know, like I was kind of like, I'm not going to go through that again because it's not, it wasn't good for anybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see, we'll see how it goes with this one. uh... Yeah. And telling yourself that nobody's going to make me feel guilty, not even myself, if I'm I'm not right, purely breastfeeding because- It's great if you can do it, but it's not, not everybody can. It's not. And you know, it's the one thing I tell all moms when they're having a hard time. And I'm like, you know, it's not, it's not easy. Like it's pushed out there. Like it's the easiest thing to do. Yeah. But for some of us, it's not that easy. And it's, it's a bit of a struggle. Um, And it's a learned skill, you know, like walking or running or whatever, like, you know, and I think it's important to, to have a little bit of that awareness so that when they hand you your baby and you put him or her up to you and it doesn't work, you're not like, I'm a failure. Like what's wrong with me? You say, okay, no, like this, I knew this might happen. So let me seek out the help I can get so that it, so that we can, we at least have a chance. Right. You at least have a chance. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Perfect. Well, any closing, you know what, you know, we, I didn't mention, we haven't mentioned anything about finances or money. So before we kind of close out, I just want to ask you, how do you guys divide the financial responsibilities in your household? Because sometimes, you know, our listeners are like, maybe they'll take some tidbits and advice from Dr. Shea. Oh, Lord. Um, (laughs) So we, 
have totally separate bank accounts. Okay. Not on purpose, but because when we got married, um, we, you know, by the time I like got everything in my name, you know, I could change my last name and all, all that stuff. We were, my husband got transferred abroad. And so we lived abroad for two years and being abroad, we just didn't have the opportunity to make a joint account. Then we came back and it just sort of like, it just settled into the reality, right? So I have a bank account and he has a bank account and I pay for certain things and he pays for certain things. You know, we don't really, we don't really know. Like I have a general idea how much he has in his account and he has a general idea how much I have in my account, but we are not. You don't just keep track. You don't keep track of how much each other has or what. No. Wow. You know, I have not heard of that from a guest before. It's te- No, it's terrible. It's because we're lazy and we don't want to put together. Yeah. No, it totally. It, it like, I mean, it's it's fine. It works for us because, okay. I mean, everything gets paid and we're not like, you know, like it works for us. Okay. Um, But it probably isn't the ideal situation. Got it. Okay. Not, okay. I mean, on the flip side, it is kind of nice because like, I work hard for my money and he works hard for his money. And so it does allow you to have a little bit of that financial independence where like you can go and buy stuff without feeling like you have to justify it Mm -hmm. to someone else. Like Mm -hmm. I have friends who have just one account and mutual credit cards and like they're both in each other's business about. Right, right, right. No. What gets spent when, right? For sure. Now, but what about investing? Like investing in retirement accounts and just for your future? Or like having a security. So we um we we both have retirement accounts through our job. Okay. And savings, and we have a little bit of investments. I mean, we don't have. I'm still trying to pay off debts and you know, student loans and all that stuff. But um, got it. Okay. Working on some financial. Working working on it. I mean, it's one of those things. Got it. That I wish again they had taught you more in med school and in residency because I don't. I'm not very financially savvy and it's just because I've never had the opportunity to learn a lot about it. Okay. My, um, my siblings are all in finance. So at least they can give me some advice sometimes if I need it. Ah, okay. And okay. You said you were abroad with your husband. Was that during training or was that when? No, that was after training. That was after training. And so were you a pediatrician somewhere in a different country? So I, um, I wasn't, so we were in Europe. And I ended up getting a job at the embassy at their medical unit. So I was actually a doctor there doing both pediatrics and adult medicine for those two years. But it was a total coincidence because like when we got the position, they didn't have a job. There was a doctor who was there. And so they were like, sorry. And so I was actually just not going to work for two years. I was in a embassy oh so you were gonna take off but you just happened to get this u.s embassy doctor right like wow that's super cool yeah i was gonna like i don't even know i was like well maybe i'll figure out some i mean this is back it's 10 years ago so like okay we were you know telemedicine wasn't a huge thing but like i was like well maybe i'll do telemedicine or maybe i'll just work not in medicine at the embassy but in the in like the week or two between when i last spoke to the people there and we arrived at the embassy, the other, like the second doctor quit. She went and got another job. Um, so they were like, well, the position's available now. And because you're the spouse of a person posted here, like you get priority if you want this job. And I was like, oh. sure. I mean, and it was great. What country was it? 
in in Italy. Italy. Oh my. Oh yeah. This seems like a really romantic two years of your life. Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> it's the other thing I tell people all the time. I'm like, don't rush in and have children. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you can, and I mean, I know there's lots of factors that go into that decision, but like, if you can have a few years as a couple before mm-hmm. you have children, it's nice because having children c- can be all consuming, right? Like, suddenly, you can't just pick up and go away for a weekend yeah. because you have to plan, you know, to take your little people with you um, or who's going to take them if you aren't going to take them with you. Yeah. So it's nice to have those like experiences where it's just the two of you and you're, you know, going places and trying new things and yeah. learning about each other, you know. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're going to close. That was so beautiful, Dr. Shea. I'm just going to close on that note, right? You, you as a physician at the U.S. Embassy in Italy, learning more things about your husband, growing in your relationship. Any take-home advice you have for, or take-home points, advice you have for my audience today? It, it, it can relate to medicine, marriage, relationships, money, breastfeeding, anything you just kind of want us to walk away thinking about. Um, I mean, I think the most important thing that I've learned, you know, being in a marriage and, and being a parent is prioritizing, you know, all the different parts of your life, but, you know, really focusing on keeping your relationship strong, either by taking time for each other or, you know, taking time for yourself so that you can be an active member of this partnership. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in the end, you know, you guys were together before, any, you know, children or whatnot, and you're going to be together after, hopefully. And so it's nice to sort of focus on that foundation as the sort of, you know, rock of your, of your home, right? With everything else. 100%. And so where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Sure. So I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook at Peds Mom Life. Um, where I talk about breastfeeding and parenting and, you know, lifestyle stuff. I do some book recommendations because I like to read. Um, and I also have a website that's going to go um, live in the next couple weeks, which is at, you know, com. Okay. Yeah, I took, I took a look at it and it wasn't quite live yet. So I'll be hitting it in a few weeks. No, it just, you know, you know, life, it gets it, it gets in the way of it. <laughs> Um, and then, and then other than that, you know, if there's anyone who, you know, is about to embark on a breastfeeding journey, like I'm actually launching a breastfeeding for virtual course wow. in the next few weeks too, that will have tons and tons of information about all the different aspects of breastfeeding. So I hope it'll be a good resource for, you know, moms out there who, you know, want to prepare or getting ready oh, I'm sure. and especially with your personal history and your you know your story with your um a little bit of a struggle and and working through that guilt and and all of your mental hurdles that a lot of us go through that it's going to be an amazing course so thank you so much for putting this together and congratulations once again thank you and thank you so much for coming dr jay this was so fun thank you so much for having me For doctors, the story has changed. Visit drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash locum story to see if a locum tenens assignment is right for you. It's here you'll find the unbiased answers you are after so you can decide if locum tenens is in your next chapter.
fabulous episode with Dr. Elena Shea. Well, very, very beautiful. Thank you so much for coming back to talk to us about breastfeeding and parenting and all the special pediatric things you talk about. Now let's go for the take-home points. Number one, focus on you, focus on yourself. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, you got to put yourself first. You got to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. And I know some of you out there may be like, what are you talking about, Kate? You say this all the time, but do you actually, do you believe me? Do you listen to me? You know, are you, especially you new moms, right? And we may all, or new dads, you may all feel like new parents. I mean, because every every year they get a year older and you learn something new. And even every month, things are always, and if you hear the baby cooing in the background, that is baby Isla. She, she's, she has a lot to say at three months. I mean, even my third time here with the three-month-old, there, there are, I have to make sure I get fed, make sure I sleep before I can begin to take care of her. Or I just... I'm just short. I just, I I can't do it. So I I do sleep and I do eat. And then I take care of my baby Isla. Rest when your babies are resting. And that may seem sound cliche, but there's a reason why people say it. Because housework will never stop. There will always be dirty dishes. There will always be stained clothes. There will always be carpets to vacuum and wood floors to sweep, mop. I mean, always. So why not just rest when you get the chance? Things will eventually get done. And if they don't, maybe somebody will come help you or you can ask somebody to come help you. You can hire, you can pay somebody to come help you. So focus on yourself. And then once you do that, you can show up as the mother or the father, as the parent, as the best friend, as the wife or husband, and as the the physician that you want to show up as. Number two, mom guilt. Oh my gosh, there are so many things that you can feel guilty for. So many infinite. I think I felt guilty about like 10 things today. And I asked myself, why? Why was I feeding myself with the thoughts to cause me to feel guilty? Because remember, nobody can make you feel guilty except for yourself. So even if you're in the hospital or you're going home with your little newborn and you're feeling guilty because you don't want to breastfeed and everybody's pushing to breastfeed or you, and you just can't, you simply, it wasn't, it's not possible. You weren't able to do it. And I, I'm not saying like, right. When you go home in the hospital, cause it does take several days and sometimes even weeks, right. To do that. But if you are becoming depressed and don't want to go out and just sad, and you can't even think about anything else, let's think about that. What are you doing? Why are you, why, why is this happening? You know, and then maybe you should seek help, seek help from somebody like your doctor you know, postpartum depression is a real thing. So please seek help if you are feeling depressed. But going back to the guilt, if you do feel guilty because you're thinking you need a breastfeed or you don't want to give formula or vice versa, ask yourself why. Your baby's going to thrive if you give him nutrition, regardless of what it is. So own your feelings, figure out why you're feeling them. And then ask yourself if you want to continue feeling that way and how you're going to move on. Number three, and this one is really funny. (laughs) Dr. Elena Shea, I mean, she just said, don't rush to have any children. And that only works if you don't have children yet. Or if you're, I guess, if you're having a second or third, I don't know. (laughs) But that was her take-home point. That was one of her her deals. So don't rush to have children. (laughs) I certainly didn't. Okay, y'all. So I hope you walk away asking yourself, 
Am I resting when my children or spouse are resting? Hmm, or spouse. What is my mental health? Is it in balance? Or do I need to get it checked out? Especially for you mamas out there who are postpartum. Am I sad? Am I depressed? Do I get overly anxious? Do I not feel like talking with anybody else or going out? If you do, please reach out to your physician, your pediatrician, or your ob And am I prioritizing myself and my relationship? If I am, what does that look like? And if I'm not, how can I start? What would that look like? And just another reminder, if you want to join the party, the Medicine, Marriage, and Money group coaching program, get on my guest list so that you can join next time I launch. And until then, I still have a few one-on-one coaching spots open for you. So if you hate getting into fights with your spouse, this is your invitation to spend more of your precious moments at home in love instead of angry, upset, or annoyed. So please RSVP now. I included the link in my show notes. Who would you be if you felt less misunderstood by your spouse or appreciated in your marriage? No time is better than now and no investment is as valuable as the investment in yourself. Maybe Isla agrees. She's cooing. So please go home, spread the love, spread all the warm, juicy feelings that you want to spend. Remember to join the party on Facebook at Medicine, Marriage, and Money if you're a physician, man or woman. And if you are not a physician, you can still join 39.6 Community, my husband's community, where he talks everything finance, totally geeks out on all the investments and money's numbers. And then, of course, Medicine Marriage Money is my group program where we talk all about marital advice. We post funny memes sometimes. We talk about serious things sometimes, all relationships. So much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.